Welcome to the markets. Dateline Chicago, Friday, May 24th, 2019. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson here for our weekly visit. Our look at markets from Wall Street to the wheat fields to the livestock feedlots across the country and some of the news that made headlines this week as we approached a three-day holiday trading weekend. That that always makes traders in commodities and on Wall Street a little nervous because it means if something happens over the weekend, they won't be able to react in the market uh, for at least three days. Markets will reopen on Tuesday morning after the holiday weekend. So let's begin with the numbers as we wound down this uh, trading week. The major stock indices did move higher today after falling in the previous session. Hopeful comments from President Trump regarding trade relations with China apparently alleviated some of the concerns among investors. But how many times over the past three or four months have we heard headlines that moved the market higher one day, moved the market lower the next day? But late yesterday... uh, President Trump said that he saw a resolution to the trade war with China happening fast. He added that Chinese telecom equipment company Huawei Technologies, which the White House has blacklisted, could also be included in a trade deal. No high-level talks between the United States and China have been scheduled since the last round of negotiations in Washington two weeks ago. And yet, The president's comments were enough to give a slight lift to stocks in quiet activity, as it always is ahead of a long three-day holiday weekend. And actually, today marked the lowest volume of the year for a full trading session on Wall Street. And one analyst commented there are some small positive stories here and there, But with a light trading volume, it doesn't take too much to get things moving. And let's look at the numbers. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 95 points for the day, ending at 25,585. The S&P 500 up nearly four points to end the week at 2826. And the NASDAQ added eight points or uh, 11 hundredths of a percent to end the week at 76.37. And for the week, the Dow declined two-thirds of a percent, the S&P 500 fell 1.16 percent, and the Nasdaq dropped two and a quarter percent. The Dow slid for the fifth straight week. That's its longest such losing streak in eight years, while the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ each registered their first three-week declines of the year. Now, the small-cap Russell 2000 gained nine-tenths of a percent. That outpaced the major indices, although for the week it was still lower. It was down one and a half percent. In a contrast from their performance last spring, small-cap stocks have dropped largely in line with their large-cap counterparts as the China-U.S. trade tensions have ratcheted up. Financials led percentage gains among the S&P 500's major sectors today. 
but Foot Locker shares dropped 16%. That's the most among S&P 500 companies after the footwear retailer missed quarterly profit and same-store sales estimates. On the other hand, Total System Services jumped 13.9% on reports that fellow payment Technology services company Global Payments is nearing a deal to acquire the company. Global Payment shares rose 3.7%. And then again on the other side, Autodesk shares fell 4.9% after the software maker reported a quarterly revenue and earnings report that were below expectations. So, That's what happened on Wall Street. What about the oil market? Oil prices climbed more than 1% today ahead of the long holiday weekend, but still posted the biggest weekly drop of the year, pressured by rising inventories and worries about the global economy. Brent crude up 93 cents for the day. It settled the week at $68.69 a barrel. And U.S. crude... Uh, went up 72 cents to end at $58.63 a barrel. It notched a weekly decline of about 6.5%. That's the steepest weekly decline since December. U.S. crude was pressured by climbing inventories, which are at their highest nationwide since 2017 and the highest since December of 2017 at the Cushing, Oklahoma delivery hub for the U.S. benchmark oil. So now that we've looked at the week and its activity in the marketplace, let's take a look ahead to next week and what to look for and what we'll be watching for. We're beginning to wind down the quarterly earnings report season, but still next week on Thursday, Costco Wholesale Corporation likely to report an increase in third quarter sales and profit. Membership and traffic trends at the Discount Warehouse Club operator will be watched carefully by analysts. Also on Thursday, retailer Dollar General Corporation expected to report an increase in first quarter same-store sales thanks to remodeled stores and an expanded offering of private label products pull in more customers through its doors. There are also some other reports that will still be coming out next week, but as I said, we're down pretty much uh, to the end of the earnings report season. And so uh, there will be reports, there will be comments by the Federal Reserve governors. They're always on the speaking circuit, it seems. And so that will certainly take up some of the attention of traders. Apparel retail company Gap is expected to report a decline in first quarter same-store sales also on Thursday, hurt by continued weakness at the namesake brand and a slowdown in Old Navy. Wednesday, Abercrombie and Fitch expected to post an increase in quarterly same-store sales helped by its surfwear brand Hollister that resonates a little better with consumers than its namesake line of apparel. 
The Commerce Department on Thursday is going to be a busy day. The Commerce Department Thursday will come in with its second estimate and gross domestic product, and investors expecting it to show that GDP grew 3.1%. Thursday, Vice President Mike Pence is expected to travel to Ottawa to meet with the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, about accelerating the ratification of the new trade agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico, I call it NAFTA 2, but it's officially known as USMCA, and uh, we're still waiting for Congress to take action on approving the agreement that was reached and signed off on by the three uh, countries last year. But once they signed off and signed, it has to go back to their governments for final approval, and it's taking forever for Congress to uh, to get down to doing what they need to do on that situation. Uh, we aren't the only ones with some challenges, particularly in trade. England, the United Kingdom, yesterday uh, bowed out of the Brexit deal. Fighting back tears, Theresa May said that she would quit after failing to deliver Brexit, setting up a contest that will install a new prime minister in Britain who could pursue a cleaner break with the European Union. May's departure deepens the Brexit crisis as a new leader who should be in place by the end of July is likely to want a more decisive split raising the chances of a confrontation with the EU and potentially a snap parliamentary election. So uh, they continue to have to deal with their problems as uh, we deal with ours. And the other big news from across the Atlantic this week, British Steel Company, that's the second largest steel company in Britain, gave up the ghost and uh, shutting down, at least as a company, that we know it. And so uh, they continue to go through the difficulty of getting everybody on board the same boat. Some of the headlines that affected the market here this week, the number of Americans filing applications for unemployment benefits unexpectedly fell. Initial claims, not by much, initial claims for state unemployment benefits slipped just 1,000 to 211,000 for the week ended May 18th. And economists uh, polled by Reuters said expected claims would rise to 215,000 for the period. New orders for U.S. made capital goods fell more than expected in April. Further evidence, the economy was slowing after a growth spurt in the first quarter that was basically driven by exports and the buildup of inventories. And uh, the housing industry, again, uh, continuing to work to overcome some of the challenges that it faces in the economy of today. Uh, New orders for U.S.-made capital goods fell more than expected in April. 
And uh, the report from the Commerce Department today also showed orders for these goods were not as strong as previously thought in March. And shipments were weak over the last two months, indicating that manufacturing was losing ground as well. Then uh, some of the individual uh, companies that made news this week, the first satellite for Musk Starlink Internet Venture launched into orbit. SpaceX, the private rocket company of high-tech entrepreneur Elon Musk, launched the first batch of 60 small satellites into low Earth orbit yesterday on the new Starlink Internet service. A Falcon 9 rocket carrying the satellite blasted off from Cape Canaveral, and it was a successful blast-off. One other air story, the ongoing situation for Boeing with the 737 MAX. Federal Aviation Administration expects to approve Boeing's jet to return to service as soon as late June, and we'll wait and see on that one. Well, Max Armstrong is standing by with his guests to take a look at the world of agricultural marketing, and that will come your way when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation Foundation is here to help. It has been a while since we've spoken with Bryce Knorr from Farm Futures, but it's great to have you here to chat with us and give us a little bit of insight. This is a big decision time for our growers as we watch these prevented planting dates move over the next few days. It it isn't the same uh, in all areas. It changes with the geography, doesn't it? Right. Uh, Some states uh, uh, to the south, that date has uh, already passed. Uh, other states, uh, it's May, May 25th and then June 5th. So uh, it's uh, going to creep north pretty quickly or sooner rather than later. So growers really need to be uh, doing a lot of noodling on the numbers. Uh, fortunately, they aren't doing anything else, so they have time. It's a complex decision, though, and it's crucial at the basis of all of this, is it not to know what your production costs are. Right, and that's really the key. I just completed a county-by-county analysis of the prevent plant decision. And uh, most places, now these are averages, so and it's a farm-by-farm, field-by-field decision, of course. But on average, uh, about 85% of uh, growers can um, toss in the towel, take prevent plant on corn, and cover their cash costs. Uh, they'll probably have to tighten their belt on family living. They may have to lay off the hired help if they have it, uh, but uh, they can cover their costs. What they can't cover, however, is the real economic cost of growing corn. Uh, Only 4% of the counties looked like they had anything close to a shot for that. So it all depends really on how you figure your costs and what your costs are. If, If you're an older farmer who owns all of his land, doesn't have any debt, Uh, It's a totally different decision from a fellow who's trying to expand, has debt, has a lot of new new machinery that he's still paying off. 
Now, we've been watching this market climbing back up since Mother's Day, watching the corn market as it has responded. It hasn't climbed enough, though, has it? No, uh, uh, I'm, I'm tempted to start uh, recommending farmers sell uh, a little bit of new crop corn, uh, but I've held off on that. Instead, I think it's important for growers to focus on pricing that old crop they still have in the bin. There's a lot of it out there. On uh, the June 1st inventory, will probably be about 5 billion bushels still left over. Uh, so we have to keep on selling the old crop, use this rally for that. And then if we can uh, get corn up to, uh, more in the, uh, I'd say, uh, December futures, uh, 435, 4, uh, 430, 4, 445 level, uh, then I might uh, start recommending some sales. But uh, the, the dynamics of the corn market look pretty interesting uh, here as we uh, get ready to start summer. But in terms of this decision on prevented planting, that level, that corn price is not high enough. No, uh, the the uh, uh, the uh, prevent plant, of course, uh, you know, if you're taking that, it's based on the $4 uh, crop insurance price. Uh, if, if you have to assume that we've lost some yield on the corn, corn potential, that's going to raise your cost of production. And uh, so you probably, you may, uh, if, if your yields are down uh, 10 bushels uh, per acre, 15 bushels per acre, you're going to have to raise that target price uh, more probably up in the four, uh, 460, 475 range. And looking at our calendar here, that is very likely. That kind of a magnitude of a loss of yield per acre in corn is not at all out of the question, given what we've seen in recent years as we've looked at yields versus planting date, correct? Uh, right, and particularly anything that's going to be planted is probably going to be planted in less than ideal conditions, too. Uh, and that's very difficult to factor in. What we've seen uh, so far on our feedback from the field feature, we have over 500 reports so far, growers compl- uh, noting very slow emergence as well as a slow rate of uh, planting. Uh, so the wet, uh, cold conditions uh, have the crop struggling. And a lot of folks, uh, you know, are uh, saying if we get a little bit dry, get a little bit hot, uh, the, the, the corn is going to have shallow roots and, uh, and may have even, even more trouble. Of course, right now, the weather forecasts don't call for that at all. Uh, they continue to call for above normal conditions and, for the most part, uh, uh, fairly cool conditions, too. So as we began the discussion, I said this is a complex, difficult decision. You almost make it sound like, hey, this isn't that tough at all to, to decide when you're looking at the options that you have here, growers, and you look at the calendar, most of you don't have a lot of uh, choice here as to what you're going to do. Well, of course, uh, growers can always plant soybeans. And that, uh, that is the real $64 questions. And uh, I, uh, I have done some, some analysis that if you figure $2 a bushel on uh, tariff aid compensation, and if price, prices are low, so you're probably going to get a farm program payment under PLC or ARC. Prices go low enough, you'll even get a, a payoff on your revenue protection crop insurance. Add those together, and it's starting to look like uh, you can pretty much guarantee yourself a profit on soybeans covering all economic costs. And, but uh, the limiting factor is going to be the payment limitations on both the farm program and the tariff compensation. Uh, so growers have to, uh, again, this is yet another alternative and um, uh, not, not completely ingest 
yesterday I uh, put a, sent out a tweet saying, why not plant wall-to-wall soybeans? At this date, we're already shaving yield on soybeans, aren't we? Potentially, although uh, the evidence is a little bit less clear there as to what the uh, yield loss is, and uh, certainly not as dramatic as we see in corn. Right. Uh, you know, if we get a longer growing season and uh, some late season rains, you, you can really add a lot of bushels to soybeans, too. Uh, but uh, I know a lot of growers are thinking that, that uh, they won't be planting the beans in ideal conditions either. On the minds of the growers, though, in some spots, and I think of west central Illinois, there's the history of uh, the 2018 crop, which was very good on soybean yields. That, that would tend to encourage uh, those growers to go ahead and make the switch, wouldn't it? Right, and the, the uh, pace of planting is so slow in Illinois that you're talking about planting soybeans in some very, very good soils. And uh, farmers in Illinois have had good results on uh, soybeans lately. Plenty of soybean seed available to make that switch in, in most areas? Well, I've, uh, I did talk to one grower who was waiting for his uh, seed to come in from South America. So that could be a limiting factor as well. But certainly producers need to be having the conversation with their seed dealer, the seed supplier, whoever they turn to for their seed to make sure that they're going to have it when they need it. The farmers need to be talking to everybody. They need to be talking to their crop insurance folks, uh, their seed dealers, and uh, the people they sell their corn and soybeans to, uh, the c- corn supplies could be getting sh- short in some areas uh, uh, due to the disruptions we've seen on the river system. And those don't look like they're going to go away anytime soon. Uh, the St. Louis Harbor uh, may stay closed into the uh, first week uh, of June. And the uh, high water conditions are going to last on the river well into summer. People have been making the analogy back to the early 90s when we had a very, very wet spring, of course, and it was disruptive and did affect total crop production. It's hard to uh, make a perfect analogy with that period of time, isn't it, Bryce? Because it was a different kind of uh, extreme moisture, more limited in the geography, for one thing. Well, and also the the uh, time of year, the, yep. the rains came hot and heavy uh, during the summer Later. in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Iowa. And uh, I can remember the Farm Progress uh, show uh, that year before we had drainage and paved roads. So we dumped uh, ton after ton of wood chips, and it was uh, like uh, like walking on a on a on a ship going up and down in the ocean. It was so soggy. So every year is different, uh, but uh, if you are planting corn late. Uh, you know you're probably going to be harvesting it late. The moisture levels could be higher, so you're going to need propane. And the good news, energy prices have pulled back. Uh, we have a wholesale propane prices out at the Kansas hub below uh, 50 cents a gallon, which is uh, as cheap as they've been in two or three years. Uh, so uh, now is the time also to be talking to your propane dealer uh, to uh, think about locking in those uh, supplies uh, because you're probably going to need it if you're growing corn. For people who think about analogous years, there might be a temptation also to go back to 1974, which, as I recall, was a late planting year, slow development, and an early frost. Uh, do you think we'll be uh, here not too many weeks down the road hearing traders talk about, oh, this crop isn't far enough along, we've got to worry about a frost on this? Well, let's see, Max. How long ago was that, that 1974 year? Because year? Uh, I certainly remember that one. One of the reasons why I remember it is because it's the only time that we've had a frost event that's actually affected yield. And it took not only an early frost, 
right around Labor Day, but it took another one. So it actually took two events to actually do much damage. So when you're talking uh, nationwide frost damage... It's, rare, big, it's rarely it, happened to rare. have a substantial but, impact. you know, the corn, you know, late planting, we had late planting in 95 and 96, and we didn't rally uh, prices much in 95, uh, even though, remember, we had that awful heat. Heat killed 500 people in uh, Chicago. Uh, got hot enough in Iowa, the cows were exploding. And uh, uh, but the the market uh, didn't rally much, and as a result, farmers didn't have an, an incentive to keep planting corn and to really push harvesting everything that that they grew. And that set up then that big rally to record prices when we found out how small the crop was. Now, in 1996, another year of late planting, but we had $5 corn. Farmers had a big incentive to go, to go ahead and plant. So the market dynamics also figure into this. What do you think about uh, pricing corn long term? Are you bullish? Uh, you know, if we do get a, a, a big time event, uh, then I think you start looking at pricing a couple years out because, like you mentioned, uh, the farmers in, uh, in uh, Argentina and uh, particularly Brazil now can grow a lot of corn if they want to. Much of our discussion, I think, underscores in my mind the need to have around you as a producer, to have some trusted advisors to help you walk through this quagmire because the complexities are so great. So many pieces moving here at this time. With the decisions that have to be made at planting, you really need a good team, don't you? It's uh, not even th- uh, three-dimensional chess. It's four-dimensional chess or five-dimensional chess. It's a very complicated decision. You really have to be crunching the numbers for your individual farm. And uh, like, like I said, on, on the corn prevent plant, it's a field-by-field decision. Uh, that you have to take a look at. It's very difficult, and you have to make sure you do have the best numbers and and analysis uh, available. Bryce, thank you for your expertise. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Bryce Nora with Farm Futures. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. I'm betting there were two topics that dominated conversation at rural coffee shops around the country this past week. Weather, number one, and the ongoing trade situation between China and the United States. But certainly weather every day seemed to bring more rain than we wanted to various parts of the country. And we continue to fall further behind on planting progress made so far this planting season. And uh, the other uh, topic of conversation had to do with President Trump's $16 billion aid program that will help American farmers that are hurt by the ongoing China-U.S. trade war, including efforts to open the door to their uh, products outside China. And according to Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, he said if China decided not to play, then we'll sell these great products elsewhere. 
And he said some of the $16 billion is going to be used for market access programs to go and build markets elsewhere. And they'll try to build markets for U.S. goods in countries like India, Malaysia, Thailand, and the Philippines, among other countries, but noted that China was the main player. We're having small singles and double hits out there, he said, but obviously the China market is huge, and we would hope they would come back to the table. We did sell a little corn today uh, to one of the NAFTA countries south of us, Mexico. Mexico purchased 113,000 tons of U.S. corn for delivery in 2018-19. Meanwhile, this week, corn did climb to a one-year high as the rains continued to stall U.S. planting. And uh, once again, field conditions not ready to take a planter and the equipment. And forecasts for unrelenting rain across the region heightened concerns about planting. And soybeans also followed corn higher. Wheat up also lifted by short covering ahead of the long Memorial Day holiday weekend. When we look at the livestock market, it was another down limit day in lean hog contracts today. July August and October and December hogs all down the $3 limit. And live cattle also ended lower today with the August cattle contract down 47 cents a hundredweight. August feeder cattle traded down 40 cents a hundredweight. So it's been a busy week and a trying one as always. Let's hope that we get dry weather so we can get these crops planted. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, here on The Markets.